0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. It's a nice day out, a little damp, but we're rejoicing in it, aren't we? <laughs> Two of you are, but uh, anyway. And I think most of you were with me uh, in our class last week. We spent basically our t- whole time on, on verses 3 and 4. I don't know all your translations, but verse um, uh, verse 5 should begin something like this for this very reason or something close to that is that pretty Yep. most of you are shaking your head something like that now obviously what Peter is doing here here is he's connecting what he has said in verses three and four with what he's about to say and so what I did well let me stand up and just explain this that that I have written on the board for this very reason, I just took us back to verses 3 and 4. I'm not going to repeat it. We're not going to go over again. But because of that, he now calls on us to act. Because this is true, and this is all that God is doing, has done and is doing in your life. Here now is your responsibility. Now, I want you to... Um, I want you to go back uh, it's been a long time since we were in Philippians that was several years ago but in Philippians uh, chapter 2 verse 23 and 24 Paul writes this work out your salvation with fear and trembling verse 24 because God is at work within you both to will and to do of his good pleasure now I repeat that that is a wonderful summary of sanctification this passage in verse 8 has another wonderful summary of sanctification. So if you don't mind, I'd like to look at that, and then we'll work our way backwards. For these, Verse 8 reads, For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And The key phrase there is and are increasing. That summarizes the process of God at work in our life that we call sanctification. You're not passive. You're not static. You're growing. So we speak of phrases like Christian's growth or the Christian's growth, the Christian growing in grace, or I mean, just so many ways we talk about it. It summarizes what we I mean, theologically, the term is, and it's especially in the book of Romans, we call sanctification. It's that process of God the Father conforming us into the image of God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit. That's a real neat theological way to define it. So, uh, um, as I start this, what I just said in these last several sentences, does that make sense to you?
1: Yes.
0: I mean, it's, I think it's important for us to be able to do this to talk theologically about certain things and then see the practical value that goes with thinking theologically about things. Theology is not just filling your head with wonderful uh, doctrinal ditties. It is to change your life. And so that's really what Peter is doing uh, here. And it's, I I just marvel at how well he can do this in such a succinct way. He summarized our position and basis and foundation of our growth in verses 3 and 4. Now he's focusing, and, and a lot of that is, is what God's done. Not a lot of it. All is what God has done in and for us. Now, verse 5, uh, seven, uh, uh, five 6, and 7 focuses on, okay, what, what's our responsibility now? What's, what's our role in this? Are we passive in this pursuit of the holy life, or are we active in this pursuit of the holy life? I'm trying to say the same thing about three different ways, so it really drives home. And so as he is taking us back to what the Lord has done in our lives, for this reason, he's now calling us. And he uses a very interesting word. ESV translates it, supplement. Supplement. All of your what, what? What are some of the other terms? I don't know all the different translations. Again, now I'm back. I'm skewed. I want to make sure you're with me. I'm in verse five. For ESV reads for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith.
1: Supply. Apply.
0: Apply. That's good. Supply. Supply. Add to. Add to. Add to. Good. Add to. Your add to. Now, I, I think the reason ESV editors chose supplement, it's very close to add to. Supply, but it's to show or it's to demonstrate, maybe that's a better way to say it. It's to demonstrate that sanctification has two sides to its coin. <laughs> One side of the coin of sanctification is God working. The other side of the coin of sanctification is what you and I do. In other words, it's it's our intentionality, it's our will. It's 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 a decisive plan and strategy of action. And it's this it's this remarkable we can't do it without the god without God the Holy Spirit's help, but God the Holy Spirit is expecting us to decisively and intentionally want to do this. Or he won't. So it's And it's really hard to put that together without which one starts. It's, it, it's the chicken and the egg. Which one starts? That's why Paul, again, I refer to that Philippians 2, um, um, uh, I think I said 23, and I meant 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. That we work because God works. So it's just both working together. That's why I think they have translated it supplement. You are adding to, you're living out, you're supplying what God is doing and has already done in your life. You live it out. So this is your side of the coin. I hope uh, what I'm saying there is, is making sense. So faith is not passive, faith is active. Does that sentence make sense to you? Faith is not passive, faith is active. Does that make sense? It's an activist faith. We put, you know, we put our faith in in the Lord, uh, and all that He did for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. We appropriate, it to our life by faith, and all of that. But that begins then a life of faith, and it's an active, energetic, focused faith. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter has chosen, and I, I mean, I don't think we know why, but Peter has chosen seven. Seven qualities or seven character traits or seven action points. I mean, you can talk about a lot of ways that define what God wants to see in our life. As he motivates and works and energizes and enables through his spirit, he wants us to seek these things. Aristotle, and I hardly ever quote Aristotle, but Aristotle once said, once said in his book on ethics, you're never going to hit the target if you do not know what the target is. Now, that's almost ridiculous, but it's true. You know, I'm not an archer, but I have a very good friend who is really a good archer, and he hunts with with a bow and arrow, and his bow and arrow doesn't look like the bow and arrow I had when I was a little boy. It's <laughs> but I said, because, and the only reason he's effective and good at it, he's hunted all over the world with us, uh, is he practices and practices and practices. And when he's going hunting for something, he studies that animal, he knows about that animal, because you're never going to hit the target if you don't know what it is. Peter is painting for us a target. Got
1: question. Um your faith is not passive, so that ties back to James 2?
0: It would. hmm okay. Faith without works is dead. It's inoperative.
1: So can you can you tie in First Peter, you gave us that chart, thoughts, actions, actions, mm-hmm. habits. Can you tie that with with this for me? Yeah, the um one's a verb or one's an attribute to get
0: that. Yeah. The. Okay. Now I, there's so many things I share with you, and so many things I say. What did I say there again? It gave
1: us a chart. He yeah. Said, thoughts lead to actions.
0: Is, is it this? Mm-hmm. Maybe.
1: Well, watch watch your thoughts because they come, they come become words. Roots. Words become yeah.
0: actions. Actions Maybe. become Maybe. habits. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, what what are you asking me? What's your question? Can
1: you tie that with this thing? Mean, are you
0: saying they're not really? Uh, yes. Um, um, I was paying
1: attention
0: for Peter's Well, I know, but it, it, it's you're, you're you're asking a question, which is a fabulous question, but there are so many ways I can answer that's going to cause all these different bunny trails. So <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I'm, what I'm trying to do it is um our thought life is very important in the kind of strategy for holiness that Peter's calling us to. So, Glenn, your thought life begins with how do I think about God, verses 3 and 4. Because because of all that God has done for me and everything that Peter uh, talks about specifically in, in the promises and so on, that thought and my understanding of who God is should really affect my desire. That is what I'm really focused on. I want this. What do I want? This is what I want. I want my life to look like this. Which then leads to the action, and so you know our thoughts and our thought life, and this is something that uh, I'm not sure our present day world, not particularly Christians, but non Christians, even think about things like this. Your thought life so affects your actions, and so if you are filling, if you're filling your mind, your thought life is is focused on things that are really important to God and the goals that God has for you, and the target, using that metaphor again, that, that should affect your desire. This is what I want. It affects your intentionality. It affects your will. Uh, so that's the, that's
1: the tactical
0: engine that drives It, the is, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. It right. is. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of those um, wonderful things um, dynamics that you see all over the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's words like wisdom, discernment, understanding, prudence. All of those require a a, a bit of knowledge. I mean, wisdom just doesn't float out of the air. Uh, And it's, it's the same dynamic that's in back of Paul's absolutely audacious claim in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 2. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Well, in the whole context of chapter 2, you understand. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you st- you you begin to immerse your mind in the word of God. You begin to get God's perspective on things, the mind of Christ. And therefore that does affect how you live. It helps to construct a set of values for your life. It helps to construct you to construct a set of virtues that you want to characterize these are virtues that you want to characterize your life and it helps to construct a set of standards by which you're going to live your life. We call that ethics. But if you're not spending time in the manufacturer's handbook, one of my friends calls it, you're never going to really be able to have that that wisdom and intentionality that is a part of your role in sanctification. So thought leads to desire, which produces action. And the thought-life And the the the, uh, intentionality that flows from that is what begins to characterize a wise person. Wisdom. Thank
1: you.
0: Now, I want you to notice it's this is fascinating, and this is this has been a challenge for expositors. How should we think about what Peter's doing? But I'll read it and just follow how he states this every effort to supplement your faith we already talked what that mean, about what that means with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love seven of them but did you notice he doesn't just put, put together a l- virtue list what's he doing He's linking them all together so that you, you see this as a process that involves all of these things. So you're not saying, okay, number one, virtue. I'm going to work on that for seven years. Then, okay, I got that one, Master. Now I'll focus on knowledge. Another seven years. And you're dead before you even get to number four. I made all that up, I, just a joke, but nobody's laughing. The, so it's, what I'm trying to get you to see is that Peter is linking all these together so we see this as a package. Uh, let me say it another way. We see all of these as inextricably linked together. And it starts with virtue and ends with love. And in between are a number of other things that you just link them together. I want to try to link them together in our, in our discussion. So let me stop for a minute. Any questions or comments? This is, this is hard to teach this. It's even more difficult to preach it. Because generally, a typical pastor doesn't have lots of time. And do you have any questions? Let me write on the board. You, know, you don't have those kinds of things typically as a, as a, as a preacher.
1: This is, these are the components... Of the growth of the Christian as he becomes more like God, absolutely, because God is love, absolutely. And so you start with a virtue, and you progress to love. But but you just like you're saying, you don't don't do one and the other. <coughs> and you, yes. you you work on all these in in combination as you grow in the, in the, in the scriptures and, and the teachings and and uh, your experiences and, and your, your witness. That's right. A and,
0: and they fit together. They, they feed together. Uh, they feed off of one another. Um, so with that being said, <laughs> oh, by the way, another a compar- or an analogy of something like this is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two and 23. And it's, it's, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits. They're all linked together. And just, it's another way of, 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 of looking at this. Now, um, so let's, let's start and let's talk a little bit about, um, about each one and link them together. Last week, we talked about this. Uh, I'm pretty sure I talked about this. The word virtue is, and I won't do this with each one, but I will do it with this one, is arate. Uh And that's an R, by the way. Maybe it looks like a V, but that's an R. It's arete. That, that term, arete, the Greeks absolutely loved that term. That was the goal of Plato and Aristotle. They wanted, they wanted people that wanted Greeks, whom they wrote to and so on, to be people of virtue. So virtue, arete, to, to the Greco-Roman mind, that's the chief virtue. That's the chief Character trait, that's the chief quality of life. I want to be a person of virtue. By the way, Bunny Trail, and I only take thirty seconds on this one. When you go back and read the founders of this nation, Madison, Jefferson, Hamilton, Jay, Washington, that's what they talked about. Jefferson said we want to build a republic of virtue. Adams said, virtue is impossible without religion. Uh, Hamilton would say, "We want to build in it because he was kind of the chief economist, and he was Secretary of Treasury for Washington, the first administration. If we want, if we want an economy that is going to work, it has to be economy, an economy based on virtue. So wherever, wherever they're, they're talking about virtue, now there's a, there's a tremendous amount of debate. We're getting this idea. Well, it depends on whom you read, and all of that." But certainly all of them had the understanding that virtue is only possible with an understanding of God, however you're defining them, and some of them defined them a little differently than others, but God and that he is holding people accountable and it matters how you live. And the republic of virtue they wanted to build was a republic of virtue where the citizens work together to accomplish a common good. They did not want to build a civilization or a republic based on selfishness and self-centeredness because they were interested in preserving religious liberty and individual liberty, and they saw virtue as a key to it. And so this term virtue is almost impossible to define it. It really is. It's almost impossible to define exactly what the New Testament writers meant by virtue. So maybe maybe the best way to describe virtue is ethically the way Jesus defined it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's virtue.
1: So with Alexander the Great, he would have a hard time. Because it,
0: did he believe in God then? Well, Alexander the Great uh, was a good Greek. His, his world was a world filled with gods. And he's tipping the hat and bowing the head to lots of different gods' maps. Sort of but who was his tutor? Aristotle, Aristotle was his tutor. So Arist- um, Alexander the Great had an idea of the Greek concept of virtue. And that's what he, wherever he went, he conquered the world. The known world at that time. Wherever he went, he wanted to plant the Greek uh, uh, worldview. And he named about 30 cities Alexandria. The most famous one that was on the Delta of Egypt. But, I mean, that's what he was doing. And he, he, every, he spread the, the Greek teachings and the Greek ideas everywhere. He wanted that virtuous, not only the virtue of, of Greece and Macedonia, but a world based on that. But now notice something. Virtue with knowledge. Now, you've got to remember verse 2, knowledge of God. Verse 3, knowledge of him. Now, the third time, and it's just a few verses, the third time you have the word knowledge. So in your mind, you must connect knowledge with verse 2 and verse 3. This isn't just knowledge about everything, it's knowledge about God, knowledge of him, because he explained what virtue looks like. He defines what virtue looks like. He defines the elements of virtue. And as I said, I, uh, the, the, to me, the most succinct summary of the virtuous life is love the Lord your God your duty and obligation to God, your duty and obligation to others, and God explains that. So, let's take the the, the word for knowledge is is gnosko or epigenosko. It depends on which word we're looking at. But the, those words were the words that the Greeks and Romans loved too. So Peter is taking two favorite words of the Greco-Roman civilization. And saying, they're good words, but they must be informed by proper doctrine. That is, proper understanding who God is. Now, are you following me? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to really, to flesh this out and give me, give meaning. Because you read a list like this, you just shake your head and say, yeah, that is really a good list. I'm really not sure what they all mean. I really don't sure what it means to me. But that sounds like a really nice list. So it's just you read it, you hear somebody talk about it, and then you leave. It doesn't affect you at all. I don't want that to happen here. I want you to understand what Peter is saying here because he's painting the target that God has for you and me. In Galatians 4.19 it says, the Father is conforming us into the image of his Son. Here is a way to look at that. These are the kinds of things that you want to see God developing in your life. And that you want these things, so I and so I love that virtue with knowledge, because they're, they they feed off one another. The knowledge of God, and again, you got to take it back to how Peter's using it in this in this passage. Knowledge of God, knowledge of Him, is what leads you to a proper understanding of knowledge. I'm sorry, a proper understanding of virtue. So it, it well, I've said it about three different ways. So, does that make sense? That's why you're here. (laughs) You didn't know that, but that's why you're here. (laughs) No, but I mean, it is. That's why even in 2018, you know, roughly 2,000 years after Peter wrote this, you you know, if you want to have a life characterized by God honoring virtue, don't spend a lot of time studying the, the writings of Dr. Oz. Now he may say some things that are very much lining up with the scriptures but that's more coincidental than purposeful. Spend time what you do an hour in this class I mean spend time really trying to understand and have a, a an accurate knowledge of who God is and what he expects of you and what he empowers and enables you to do. So you know, another way of saying it is a thesis that's developed in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd, Timothy and Titus. Sound doctrine produces godly living. They're linked. And that's what Peter's doing in just a masterful way, using these words that everyone that were the first readers of this epistle, they would have shaken it. yeah, but you're giving the Christian spin on it. <laughs> I'm using Fox News as phrase. You know. You're giving the Christian K- spin on it.
1: So I, I see some interesting things here. I maybe mean, this is a bunny trail. We don't want to go down. But I'm in a situation where I'm paying a lot of attention to Catholicism and Protestantism and the differences. And I'm in a church that believes that we don't have to do anything to be saved. Just, you know, put your faith in Christ and that's it. In fact, they kind of don't push that very much. This flies in the face. This, this, I, this could be, and I'm not, I'm not real familiar with Catholicism yet, but this could be Catholic teaching, and I could certainly see this is the biblical basis for their belief that it's not just faith; it's faith and works. Um,
0: you're, you're partially correct, mm-hmm. okay. but. You're incorrect. <laughs> uh, Rob, the difference, I just finished reading a book by Tom Schreiner on this whole issue called Faith Alone. Uh, it just came out a little bit ago. It's really, really well. Now, one of the reasons I like the book is he's interacting with N.T. Wright, and probably most of you don't even know who that is, Why so I bought the book. But he, reminds, he reminded me, Rob, that the fundamental difference between Roman Catholic Christianity and Protestant Christianity is the doctrine of justification. That is the primary difference. Now, there are many, many other differences, but that's the core issue. And actually, that's what the Reformation was really all about. I mean, it was about a lot of things, but it was that core issue. And um, Schreiner, in that book, analyzes um, the joint statement that the... uh, Roman Catholic Church and the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America put out in the 90s, It's in the, in the late 19, I forget the exact year, but it was in the late 1990s. And then he even analyzes another joint declaration called Evangelicals and Catholics together. And it's, it's helpful to see somebody really do that, because he keeps coming back to that's the major difference. Because the Protestant, well, I maybe should say historically, the Protestant churches have said, that justification is a forensic legal term where God, when we put our faith in Christ and His finished work, God declares us righteous. He imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. And I mean, there you have to be you have to be very precise and very clear on how that's defined, and the place to go is Romans, because Romans is the place that defines this so clearly. Sanctification is then that process. By which God conforms us into the image of Son. His son. So let's make it even simple. Justification is an event, sanctification is a process. The Roman Catholic Church fuses those two together. Does not make a distinction.
1: Right.
0: The Roman Catholic Church says salvation is a process. It begins with baptism and ends with last rites. And all along that line of your life, for you to maintain that state that begins with baptism, reaches a peak for the child at confirmation, is going to mass, doing penance. I mean, all of those, there are seven sacraments that the church acknowledges. All of those are a part of how you maintain your salvation. And if you don't do it, and you have a major temporal debt for your sin, that depends how long you spend in purgatory. Because that process of salvation goes on even after you die. It's called purgatory. Right. Yeah. And now I'm going to be, because I, I may offend some of you, because I don't know if if you come from Roman Catholic traditions or not, but I don't mean to offend you. I'm just telling you this is how I understand the book of Romans, which I think is very clear on this subject. Salvation, let's use the word justification, is not a process. It is not a process. It's not a process word. It's not a process. Deikainao uh, is with a Greek word is not a process word. It's a focused event. You are declared righteous by God, right. and the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to your life by faith. The Roman Catholic Church does not does not accept that, right. uh, and. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, and and Schreiner says that, and he quotes a variety of Roman Catholics, including the most recent uh, doctrinal statement of the Roman Catholic Church, which came out a couple years ago. And again, I'm not trying to. And I hope you didn't misunderstand. I wasn't trying to dump on Roman Catholic here uh, position, but that is the that is the defining issue that separates Catholicism and Protestant. There are lots of other things that, but it's that issue. And it is. I, you've got to keep coming back to that.
1: But when they started to blend it together, it was more when they were trying to build their cathedrals. And their, <laughs> it's when it started to blend together where Luther was like,
0: ah. Well, yeah, that, that's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole other. Because that's, yeah, I mean, even, I, I mean, I have a number of very good friends who are Roman Catholics and they're in the academic community and so on. But they are... They, are, they will all agree. that The church at the time of Luther was so corrupt and, and, and so decadent. It had to change or it was going to fall and collapse. And they were, they were just so prostituting everything that was saved. And the sale of indulgences, which is kind of really what you're trying, because that's how they built a lot of the cathedrals, uh, was, was just it was an awful exploitation of people in the name of Christ. It was awful. And Roman Catholics acknowledge that today. They say Luther did good things for the church in shaking them up. That doesn't mean they embrace Luther. It just means they he shook the church up. It needed to be shaken up. All right. Uh, okay. That's all right. That's okay. Yes.
1: One, one last point. So in, in, in Catholicism, the works are to maintain your status. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's part of that cooperative effort between you and God.
1: And in gospel believers in Christ, works that you do glorify God. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything for you that's right. They don't maintain any status. you, you, you like see you're justified, you are justified, and then the sanctification is the process and, and the works that you do to glorify God across that sanctification. That's the way I always yeah. looked at. It.
0: Well no that's, that's, that's good. It doesn't have your works do not have anything to do with your state. Your, your, your identity, your righteousness. I mean, the one thing that I think is so crystal clear in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, but even in the Old, is you can't merit God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. And in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, your, your righteousness is like filthy rags to me, what you're doing. You know, I mean, it's... A, So, uh, anyway, that was good. May I get back to 1 Peter, 2 Peter? (laughs) That was good, good. And with knowledge, um, now verse 6, the third item, uh, virtue here, self-control. Now just think about that for a minute. Virtue, that's a word of ethics, that's an ethical word, that's the chief virtue, is only properly understood and, and properly motivated by knowledge of who God is. Again, verse two, the knowledge of God. Verse three, the knowledge of Him. Okay, so therefore, therefore, virtue that is informed by knowledge will lead to self-control. If you look at Paul's list of virtues in, in, in Galatians five twenty-two and twenty-three, the ninth virtue is self-control. For Peter, it's the third. <laughs> but th- without getting in that doesn't matter it's just so what does that mean self-control I mean I know you know what that means but self-control how's that fitting in with this go ahead Fred
1: so I, I found this reference yes please it says controlling the power of the will under the operation of the spirit of God yeah so yeah. it's, it's letting God control your life and yeah. being aware of more knowledge of, of God and and then then you, the Spirit of God works you to control give you the tools to control your life.
0: If you go back to that little phrase that, that Glenn was asking about thought, desire action, thought is rooted in well your thought life should be rooted in the knowledge of God, His Word and all of that, which then affects your desires which is an issue of self-control. It's the intentionality, the willful determination of the kind of person you want to be. Let's put it another way. I think self-control means I need to have a strategy for my life in these areas. My strategy, Jim Ekman's strategy is not going to be the same as Jim Beck's strategy. Why? Because I have certain issues that I've dealt with throughout my entire life that are a little bit different than the issues that Jim has dealt with in his entire life. Plus, there have been a number of developments in the life, just a, just a history of his life that are different than the history of my life. Now, I'm saying all that because, and I only chose him because he's to my, right to my right here, but the point is that every one of us has to really have a strategy, a focused understanding of who we are, where our weaknesses are, where our real intense struggles are that if we don't master these things that will always lead to sin and say, okay, I need to get control of this. I, I, I'm saying things that I've talked with men over the years in mentoring and relationships and pastoral counseling stuff. You, you have a lot of old patterns and habits of your life. The virtue of self-control means I know exactly how those things work in my life. I've been with them for 20 years. And I know now that I have got to replace those old habits and patterns with new habits and patterns. And so that means that strategy for holiness that I must develop, that I see working. God wants you to do that. And you're, you're informing yourself of who God is and what he expects of you and the role of the Holy Spirit, as Fred quoted in that definition he used. It's all of that. But I, I have to want that. I understand, okay, Lord, I'm just going to sit back here and you just make me holy. I'm not going to do anything, but I'll just wait for you to do that. And so you get up from your chair and you walk out and absolutely nothing has changed. You fall back into the old habits and old patterns. And that's the most frustrating thing (sighs) in working with men. It drives me crazy. I shouldn't have said it that way.
1: (laughs) Often working
0: with men is just don't they don't seem to understand that I really have to address these old habits and old patterns and I have to want to break them and and as we've talked thousands of times in this class that takes time that's part of the process and in that you're going to you're going to fall a lot but you're going to see the Lord through his grace and through his spirit Gradually, you're breaking those old habits and patterns. And you're beginning to learn the virtue under the Holy Spirit's power and control, the virtue of self-control. You're changing. Those old habits are slowly falling. Another way to look at this is in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24. Put off the old. Renew your mind. Put on the new. I'm summarizing there's that intentional strategy. What do I have to do? I've got to put off the old. I've got to get rid of the junk. Is
1: it that Middle. Or is it rewiring your response?
0: That's part. Don't you think that's part of it, Glenn? It is. To you. you're, you're a techie guy, so you would say rewire. But you're it's. so
1: focus on the old. You're yeah. talking about focus on the old habits. If you have a different perspective, that's behind
0: you. Exactly. And you, Paul puts it this way, of flipping I put that stuff behind me. I'm pressing on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. I'm not looking back anymore. And that's hard. It's hard for us to not look back. But you learn self-control involves. I don't look back anymore. That's my old, that's the junk.
1: My visual behind that is Lot's wife.
0: Exactly. Back exactly. Good. Exactly. Right. exactly.
1: Right.
0: Yep. Don't look back. Yep. And that's hard. But that, you know, uh, another favorite verse of mine is in the book Ecclesiastes. So many of us, I'm paraphrasing, so many of us that go into the future with our eye in the rearview mirror and our foot in the brake. That's not how to look at our life anymore. I'm not looking in the rearview mirror. Matter of fact, I ripped the rearview mirror out of. I really didn't. I just meant, you know, that's how we don't want to look back. We're looking forward because our future is forward now. We're not going back. And that's why this third virtue is so important that we learn that strategy of self control and i don't i don't know how else to put it well let me i i like to put it this way because i've seen in my own personal life and so many of the lives of men i've worked with if they don't get victory over those habits if they don't really focus on and and asking the Lord to help them get victory over these old habits and patterns. Rob, Andy.
1: Uh, It's just kind of timely for me um, that we're talking about this. I I recently picked up for the second time a book called uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, um, and the author is escaping me at the moment, but um, just restarted that book and read it about five, six years ago. He starts it out with... um, Paul's called Timothy to, to train, mm-hmm. as if training athletically. The, the word, the base word he uses is similar to gymnasium, I think. Gymnasium, yeah, And mm-hmm. um, in terms of the pain and the sweat mm-hmm. in order to strengthen yourself, um, to train mm-hmm. yourself to be to be this way, to have mm-hmm. these disciplines and stuff like that.
0: So. You're actively, actively involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right. And other, in that same book, he talks about Paul comparing himself to a boxer. I buffet my body. I beat, you know. There, there are things that meant a lot in the greco roman world because that was such an important part of their <coughs> entertainment and, and so on. <coughs> but it means a lot to us today, too. We catch that. We understand that. Yeah. That's good. <clears throat> the best silver bullet, even
1: though there isn't one, is to flee from me.
0: it is i mean that's part of the self-control too i'm just learning i don't try to get as close to it as i can i'm running from it. my favorite story on this i don't know if i ever told you do you know you know the the fourth century fifth century theologian augustine you know i mean it's a great story if you want to read a great spiritual autobiography it's augustine's confessions I mean, I have my students read, and it is tremendous, but, but Augustine talks about his, um, his life, very transparent, and uh, how he came to faith in Christ. It's, it's really quite an amazing story, but as he then uh, grew and developed his walk with the Lord, he went back to one of, uh, he had been in Milan for a while in Rome, but anyway, he goes back to one of his old areas where he used to live. And he, he was an extremely immoral man. He sired an illegitimate child and all that. And he sees one of the women that he used to hang out with. And she sees him and she starts running toward him. Do you know what he does? He starts running away from her. And he writes about this in his, in his uh, spiritual autobiography. And she's crying out to me, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And as he's running away from her, he says, yes, but it is no longer I. It keeps running (laughs) now I mean you know you can do a lot with that but that's just a great illustration of what Matt's saying I'm not trying to get as close to evil as I can I've learned as a part of my strategy of self-control I'm fleeing from it because I know what's going to happen and it's just you're learning those old habits and old patterns I know if I do this and I do this and I do this I'm going to end up doing this which is not what I want to do So therefore, I have to break this, this, and this, so I don't get to this. I made all that up, but I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to understand what I'm saying. That's why I mean I learned a long time ago, not because any of it's evil. I just have to control what I watch on television. I have to control what I listen to on the radio, or what I do with this stupid thing. I mean, I just I I have to I have to control it because Paul says. In 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 Philippians, uh, no, in First Corinthians, eight, nine, and ten, he says it three times. I will not be controlled by anything. That's an audacious, bold statement. I will not be controlled by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. I will control it. And so, as long as this iPhone is a tool that I can use to make my life more efficient, better manager of time, information, and so on, that's a good thing. But if it starts controlling me, I've crossed the line. And that's one of the great challenges in this this world that Glenn lives in, this technological world, and the world that our our children and grandchildren, my my three-year-old grandchild, it's unbelievable what he does with a computer and an iPhone. I mean, he I probably, he's doing more than I'm doing with it. I mean, I'm saying, because that's his life. That's, that's life today. And so, it, which is controlling you. And so that's all involved in this. Oh man, I wanted to get through this today, but, <laughs> well, it's all your fault. You're asking me all these questions. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Any, any other? What,
1: what was the book you referenced earlier that you just completed?
0: faithful Tom Schreiner. I, oh, yeah. Uh, Tom Schreiner is the author. It, it's simply called Faith Alone. Faith Alone. Faith alone. Mm-hmm. It's in paperback. It's it's really a nice little book. Uh, all right, let's move on then. Uh, we're still um, in verse 6. Knowledge was self-control. Self-control was steadfastness. Um, I know why they translated that. Steadfastness, hupomone uh, is the Greek word. Another way to translate that is perseverance. So, just think about that. Okay. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. My son would translate that learning to hang in there. That's really what it means. It's enduring. Understanding that the sanctification process, you're in it for the long haul. Learning that this process of God the Father conforming me into the image of God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit, I'm in it for the long haul. This isn't a short run quick fix. This doesn't so my my uh, well, would be a, my vantage point, my perspective is always hoopomane. I'm enduring. I'm persevering. I'm hanging in there. Lord, I'm not going to give up. Please don't give up on me. And God has said, don't worry, I'm not going to give up on you. Don't you give up on me. So it's just that it's one of the the things you see in the book of Hebrews is this constant interplay between faith and perseverance. The author does that. He's just constantly playing those two together. Your faith in God, your trust in God, enables you to persevere. So let's talk a little bit about that. No matter what you're doing, you know as well as I do, anything that is really worth it in life involves endurance. It, it Rarely, rarely does it happen quickly. So you you, you already have, like, I forget which one. I, oh, it was, it was Andrew when he was referring to that book. You know, I, I'm not an athlete, but I played sports and things like that. I just know, and you do too, but you watch these people who are professional athletes or Olympic athletes. Oh, my goodness. What they do, they are learning Hupo manet, Endure and persevere to get to the goal. So for you and me, it's to endure, to hang in there, to persevere, to get to the goal. What goal? To become like Jesus. And how long does that last? Until I take my last breath. I mean, it's all—it's that yeah, I'm in it for the long haul. And God is too; He'll never give up on me. He always, always is patient. Sometimes it's translated long suffering and all that. So it's—it's it's this. And again, that's a—that's <laughs> the kind of phrase that, or the kind of term that. It means a lot when you put it into the work metaphor or the athletic metaphor, but then the spiritual life, oh. Oh. Because just like an athlete, how many times do you fall and fail? A lot. A lot. If you're a runner, you're going to stumble and fall. If you're a swimmer, you're... Things are going to... You're going to develop cramps. You know, all the kind of things that can happen. But you learn, I've got to get... I've got... I've got to look at the long haul. And that's why Paul says, what I, I never look back. I'm always looking forward. And so that's that quality, that virtue of hanging in there. Persevering. Enduring. Because I want that goal. And I, I, I love... To say, this, although I don't think it really fits, but I love it as much as God loves it. And That's not usually true, but that's what I, I want to love this goal as much as God loves this goal. <clears throat> and then uh, the maybe well no we'll never get all three of these done. But and steadfastness now the uh, the word as we've talked about it with uh, godliness. And that, um, the, the, the term godliness is one of those terms that has uh, so much of a good spiritual meaning. We shake our heads, we say, that's wonderful, amen, but what does that mean? I don't know, it just really sounds good. But godliness, and that's the way they're translating it. I don't know if any of your other translations have a different term there. But it's really, <laughs> it's, it's a word of personal piety, it's a worship word. So it's a it's a word of piety, of devotion. It's a worship word. It defines the the kind of uh, oh, it's it, it, the kind of approach that I always want to have with the Lord. So if 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 I want the same thing the Lord has, then I want to be devoted and align with him. Eusebia you, you, is the Greek word there. It's it's a wonderful word, very difficult to translate. That's why I, I said piety, or devotion, or worship. Uh the Greek word about? it's E-U-S-E-B-E-A, excuse me, B-E-I-A. Eusebia.
1: It's a, it's an attitude that well is, is world-pleasing to God. Mm-hmm.
0: It's 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 attitudinal, it's worshipful, it's devout, it's a God focused, God centered, not circumstance centered life. I don't know about you, but I'm a circumstance guy. I was being very transparent, nobody laughed, nobody said anything. <laughs> Everybody just say, Yeah, we know you are. So, yeah. But I mean it's that it, and that's that huh? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I'm, that's why I, I, you all agreed because you know what I'm talking about. But I mean, it is. It's. It's. No, I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to be circumstance controlled, circumstance driven. That's life. But the quality of 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 the the, the God focused life is I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord.
1: Circumstances will
0: never go away. No. Yeah. Life's like this. The, the believer is able to keep your eye there, not this. Then it's so easy to say that. It's, But it's just, again, these, these things all relate together. But it's that God-centered, God-focused, piety, devotion, worshipful focus on the Lord. And if you really do understand who he is and what he's doing in your life, that's part of the growth. I see it in my mom right now. And the reason I say it is... Ma has dementia. She's, um, and I, I talked to her you know, yesterday on the phone, in the car, every now and then. Peggy calls her, trying to really keep contact with her almost every day. But anyway, Mom's easily confused now. She's 90, and, and I mean, she is. She's very confused about a lot of things. But as soon as we talking about start talking about the Lord, it changes. Mm-hmm. It totally changes. There's a confidence. There's a certainty. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just amazing to me with mom. And it's because, you know, at her whole, she's walked with the Lord almost all of her life. She's a she's, um, really, really neat model for me in that area of life. And I say that because as soon as the, you bring the Lord back, it, it gets her back to what's really important. And that the issues and struggles with her dementia just momentarily go away. Because she's thinking about Jesus again. In a way, that's kind of what this used to be—a means. It, it's that devotion and, and focus on the Lord. And even in dementia, you can see it in somebody. I'm not. I hope you understand the spirit in which, because that may not always be the case with my mom. But right now, it's just kind of neat to see that. That brings her back to reality. Or show. Um, you know, we'll mention. Uh, the other day well, maybe the other week I mentioned a hymn that she loved and all of a sudden she, she starts going through all the words all the lyrics and I, just, I see that's just it it gets her back to reality and in a way that's that might be a metaphor for all of us life is a mess life's hard life's, life's horrible at times it gets you back to what's really important is, is focusing on the Lord God focused not circumstance focused And it is so easy to do that. No, it's not. It's difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. Nice to talk about, but it's just those are the things we learn as we walk with the Lord. Uh, You know, I probably should stop here um, because the last two, all of these ones that we these first five, are all focused on us. The last two are focused on others. Mm And that's where we'll start next week, okay? So, um, write a thought paper. No, <laughs> that's right. Wrong class, I'm sorry. Anyway. All right, I'm going to pray. We want to remember Pete. Thank you for reminding us of that, okay? And we'll get to, we'll, we'll get back to this next Wednesday. Lord, thank you for our time around this rich, rich passage of Scripture. We've only dealt with about a verse and a half. But it's, it's, it's rich, it's rewarding, because it helps to construct the target that you have for us. Lord, I pray for these men. Uh, uh, some of them I've known for quite a long time. Others I'm just now getting to know. And a, and a few others I don't know very well at all. Pray for each one of them. They're unique, they're important, uh, they're significant, they're of infinite worth and value to you. And you're at work in their lives. In the same way you're at work in everyone else's life in this room. And that means that we're unique. And some of the choices we make and our own personal strategies or how, uh, how to be all you want us to be is going to be different. But we're all in the same boat. We're all being transformed into the image of your son. And for that, um, we're grateful. We're not static. We're not passive. We want the same things you want for us. So Lord, help, help us to grow in those areas. Thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us. And we look forward to having Fred back, uh, Fred Scott back with us next week. Pray for him in those last days in uh, Florida. And I hope his health uh, is, is good and he'll come back refreshed and renewed. We pray for uh, Woody's brother now. Um, as I understand it. I think even as we're praying here, he's in surgery. It's major surgery, Lord. They're dealing with lung issues or taking part of one of his lungs. So, Lord, I just pray for the surgeons and the anesthesiologists, nurses, and everyone that's ministering to him right now medically. Would you you give them the skills to complete this and that it would be a complete success in terms of the goals they have for this and that he would be able to be renewed and restored to good health. So we pray for Pete. I don't know anything about his spiritual life or his relationship with you, but, Lord, draw him close to yourself and use this, even in Woody's life, too, because um, Woody has grown so much in the years years that I've known him here, these last couple. And I just pray that he even can minister to his brother in this time of need. So, Lord, we're going to go our separate ways now. Uh, Dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to be good representatives of you in what we say and do. In Christ's name, amen. amen. See you next week.